Thank you, brethren. Let's uh, turn to Acts chapter 1, if you will. It's good to be with you all tonight. We want to, uh, the will of the Lord, look at the book of Acts and our studies together when I'm with you. And I know you've been studying the book of Acts on Wednesday nights, and uh, this will be supplemental to that, I trust. We're going to be looking at certain elements that I think are important to emphasize to help us understand this book. So let's read the first 11 verses together. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I think you've probably realized as you've studied the book of Acts, it's a very important book for us in the New Testament. It's, it's a book that connects the four Gospels which tell about our Lord's public ministry, of course, His birth, and His public ministry, death, burial, resurrection in the four Gospels. And then we have the, the epistles, the teaching letters to primarily individual churches, but sometimes groups of churches or individuals. And in between, the only historical book that we have is the book of Acts. By the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit, this is how He put together the New Testament. It is sufficient. But I think, of course, the, the enemy, the evil one, would seek to cause a lot of confusion in this book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at some of that as we work through some of the various passages we'll be considering together because it's essential that we understand what the early church was about. 
One commentary on, on the book of Acts is titled, The Spreading Flame. I like that thought. I like the thought that, that as we read the book of Acts, and I'm sure it's been that way for you as you've been working through it, I can't help, every time I read the book of Acts, I get invigorated. I get inspired. I get excited about what God is doing in the world today. Because this, what he is describing historically here, is still going on. Albeit, maybe a few things have changed since it's in a transition period that he's describing historically. There are many things here that we see that are still going on because he tells us in verse 1, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And he's still doing it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, very important verse in the New Testament. It's the first time in the New Testament that the word church or ecclesia or assembly is used. And that is important to us. The law of first use in the Bible is, is a good uh, teaching tool in hermeneutics. And we see it used. And the Lord said He made a prophecy there to the apostles, didn't He? He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So who is building the church? The Lord is. Jesus began to do and to teach. Whose church is it? It's His. My church, He said. And so, even though, as we see here in verses 9, 10, and 11, our Lord ascended bodily, and they saw Him on Mount Olivet, just to the east of Jerusalem. You can stand there today. We know roughly the spot, geographically, where it occurred, where He ascended bodily into heaven, and they saw Him. They were the eyewitnesses. That's important. But our Lord went to heaven, but He didn't disappear as far as His work here in this world, did He? <laughs> he continued to work. Of course, He sends the Holy Spirit to them in a special way in chapter 2. He would already breathed the Holy Spirit into them in John chapter 20 prior to that event of the ascension. But here, He brings them together in the one body, the church. And it's very important. One of the things that we see emphasized in Acts and in the epistles of the New Testament is that the church is emphasized as being a body, not an institution. I hear sometimes, even on the radio today, some good Bible teachers will talk about the church as an institution. And I think, oh, you know better than that, brother. Don't call it an institution because there is an institution in this world that calls itself the church, but it's not the true church. It's Christendom. The Lord had told them that in the Mystery Parables Discourse in Matthew 13, didn't He? You know, that there would be tares along with the wheat. But the Lord knows who the true wheat is, and He knows who the tares are. And, and they said, well, shall we pull up the tares? He said, no, let them both grow together until the harvest. And there are many other teachings in the New Testament which tell us that there is there are two entities that are growing simultaneously. There's Christendom, 
that Satan is in charge of, it will ultimately end up in Revelation 17 and 18, the mystery Babylon, the harlot, as opposed to the bride, the true church, who's going to be redeemed and taken to be with the Lord. See, And they're both working in the world today and we're thankful to be part of the true church. Amen? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, you're part of the true church. You're not part of an institution. You're part of an organism. A living body, which He is the head. And we are all members together in that body. That is, we all encourage, support. We're there to work together, to build each other up. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. Just like in a human body. And when one of us is, does well, we all rejoice together. Because we're not competing against each other. We're seeking to build up the body. And each one of us has a part and role to play in that. Isn't that awesome? And I sometimes like to think about it this way. You know, I mean, along with some of the tragedies that we were looking at, June 1st is also the beginning of hurricane season. For those of us, I live on the Gulf Coast too. And so we don't know what we're in store for, but we know that the Lord is able to take care of us. And we're able to take care of one another. We're looking to Him. Peter was fine. Don't forget, Peter walked on water. He's the only human being that's ever done that, apart from the Lord Himself. He did walk on water. He began to sink when what happened? He took his eyes off the Lord and started looking at the waves. And he began to think, what am I doing out here? So the Lord has called us out to walk with Him. And the question, one of the questions as we look at the book of Acts that we want to think about individually for ourselves is, am I in the center of God's will for me tonight? Now if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. And God wants you to use it in a local fellowship. And He will direct you to which local fellowship or groups of local fellowships that He wants that gift to be used. But He's in charge, isn't He? But He wants each one of us to be useful. And when you and I are working together in a local fellowship of believers, building up the body of Christ, using the spiritual gift or gifts that He's given us, Beloved, we are in the center of His will. That's more important than our level of education, than our career or job, or status socially, whether we're single or married, or whether we have children or don't have children. What's most important is our relationship to Christ, our relationship to the body of Christ, and how we are being useful to our Lord in a local fellowship. And so we see here, Luke. Now, in the, those who study the canon of the early Scripture, by canon I mean putting together the books of the New Testament. Those who study that kind of a thing say that, that originally Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts were written as one volume, volume one and two of one work by Luke. In other words, when he finished Luke 24, he saw the need under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to put together these 28 chapters of history of the early church. 
And to me, it's fascinating when we study a book, any book, but a book like Acts, we want to ask the question, why did he write it? How is it written? What did it mean to the people to whom he first wrote it? And what should it mean to us as Christians like them? And then are there distinctions between the people that he first wrote it to and Christians like us? And then how does does the book divide up in a way that is apparent that we can see? Well, we're going to look at some of those things in the will of the Lord, and, and I think there are answers to those things. But one of the things that we notice that Luke does here at the beginning is he tells us in the first three words something that's very important. The former account I made. The former account. And immediately, what former account is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke. And if we go back to that Gospel of Luke in the first few verses of chapter 1 of Luke, we see that there is an introduction here that he gives to the same individual, Theophilus, who apparently held a position of governmental or social authority because he's referred to as most excellent Theophilus in verse 3 of Luke 1. And that's how some of the different governmental leaders are referred to in the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke. But in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 of Luke, we have to, this is really the introduction to Acts because Acts 1 1 tells us the former account. Inasmuch as many, this is Luke 1 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken in, or have taken in hand to set in order a narrative. What's a narrative? It's a story. It's, it's putting together in a, in a story type of a way, like a narrator telling a story. It's historical narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word delivered them to us. So, who delivered the information, the factual history that Luke is recording? Luke's a historian. He's recording information. He didn't experience all of it himself. We're going to see in the book of Acts that there are three we sections in the book of Acts where Luke is in the story himself. So, in that case, he is writing personal historical account. But most of Acts, he's not there. So how does he how do how is he authoritative? How can we rely on his account? Because he is setting in order things that were from the beginning seen by eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and they delivered them to us. The us there being the many in addition to Luke. Luke's the only one that's been preserved of these historical accounts. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. That's an important statement. Luke is validating here that he didn't just do this in a haphazard way. He waited and meticulously interviewed. He talked to Mary to get the account that's recorded in chapter 3 of Luke. Luke wasn't there, but he talked to Mary. He talked to other individuals that were there. And he meticulously recorded these things, and he waited till he had perfect understanding before he wrote them down. 
There's a there's an element of perhaps him understanding that he was doing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit too, because I don't know if any historian would ever admit to having perfect understanding of an element of history they're writing about. But Luke does tell us that here in verse 3. So it seemed good to me also to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. What's the purpose then? Verse 4. In order that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So the purpose then, why is he writing the Gospel of Luke and Acts, since this introduction fits with Acts? That we might know the certainty of the things that we've been instructed. Instructed with regard to what? Instructed in regard to the gospel. Instructed with regard to the person of Jesus Christ. Instructed with regard to His death, burial, resurrection, exaltation, ascension, in His current session at the Father's right hand as our great high priest. Instructed with regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There shouldn't be confusion about this if we just stay with what the Word of God tells us. It's interesting, there are a lot of men have written things about the Word of God over the history of the church. I'm more concerned with what the Word of God says. I judge what men who write about the Word of God, I judge what they write by the Word of God. Do you? Of course. Because this is what's inspired, not them. This is what's always truthful, not them. They're not always truthful. Not that they purposefully try to be deceitful, but they're men. And they're fallible. Word of God is infallible. It's always right. Always right. And so we want to be careful, as Paul told Timothy, how we handle it, how we study it. In 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly handle the Word of God. It's important. It's important to God and therefore it's important to us. So coming back to Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us, and to me this is exciting. I want to know these things. After I'm saved, first I want to understand that I'm in a right relationship to the Lord and that the matter of sin is taken care of and my eternal destiny. And then I, I want to know, well, how did all this happen? God came down and walked on this earth. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's as exciting today in 2011 as it was in the first century A.D. Not a whole lot has changed, has it? Even though we're in the information age and we have blueberries and blackberries and palm pilots and, and all these little gadgets, it, there isn't a whole lot. Solomon said it, right? There's nothing new under the sun. There isn't a whole lot that's changed. And certainly in man's heart, there hasn't been any change apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, of course. So he says, The former account which I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So that immediately tells us the, the title, the Acts of the Apostles. Some have titled it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But you could also talk, title it the Acts of Jesus Christ. Jesus began to do and to teach. That the, the title, the Acts of the Apostles, in one sense, is a little bit unfortunate if only because of this. It causes us sometimes to think in a preconceived mind idea as we come to the book, 
well, this is just the story of the apostles. Or these are just the apostles. A bunch of people, you know, fishermen and, and people like that, they like us, you know. But no, the book of Acts is the history of what Jesus began to do and to teach in His early church. And there are principles here and there are patterns here that we see continue throughout the history of the church. And we're still part of that body. You realize that? That the Christians that we read about in the Acts of the Apostle are part of the same body of Christ that you and I are? That this body which began and was baptized by the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, and Peter tells us in Acts 10 and 11 that that was the beginning so we know that that was the beginning of the church because Peter tells us that. That that is the same body that you and I are brought into when we're saved. People from all nations going back to 30 A.D. and going forward all the way to the rapture. And if we're as close to the rapture as many would like to think, most of that body of believers is in heaven already, aren't they? At least their souls are in heaven. And so, it's interesting to me, anyway, and I, I trust it is to you, to, to think about the, the group of people to whom we belong, as well as the head to whom we belong, the Lord Jesus. But the Lord Jesus and His people are one. As, as John will tell us in 1 John chapter 4 in his little letter, you can't say, I love God and not love Christians. He says, if someone says, I love God, oh, I, and go on and on about how much they love God, but not love their fellow Christians, he, the Bible says you're a liar. I didn't say that. The Bible says that you're a liar. God says, I see through all that hypocrisy. He said, you all are one. Christ and His people are one. You say, well, some people are hard to love. Well, ask the Lord to help you. I have to do that too. And you have to do that with me. <laughs> and, by the, and by the enablement, the power, He talks about in verse 8, of the Holy Spirit, we can. There isn't any mountain that can get any obstacle that can get in the way of our serving the Lord and serving one another and growing together. Do you realize that? There is nothing. We're talking about God's power here. We forget that. We get busy just making it through the week and we forget that. So he says in verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up. And then he uses the same phrase in verse 9, when he was taken up. Peter uses the same phrase later in the chapter dealing with the issue of replacement for Judas. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now we know in John 14, 15, 16, there are instructions that he gave to the apostles whom he had chosen. Remember, he excuses Judas in chapter 13, and then he begins to prepare the eleven for what would follow. His passion, his death, the mock trials that preceded that, the resurrection. 
He began to prepare them. And he introduced to them this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he talks in seven different ways of the ministry of the Holy Spirit ahead of time before the Holy Spirit even is familiar to them. At least in that way of ministry. So Luke emphasizes that it's he, through the Holy Spirit, gave commandments. And one of the things that it is an interesting study. I don't know if you tried it, but in working, preparing for this, just pull out your concordance and track Spirit and Holy Spirit and see the, in the book of Acts and see how the Holy Spirit is named in the book of Acts. And I see at least 16 different ministries that the Holy Spirit does in the book of Acts. There may be more. But that's what it means to study the, the Word, to study a book and to appreciate what God is delivering here. Because the Holy Spirit's guidance and instruction that He gives in the book of Acts is important for how we see Him work today. One of the ones I'll give you a hint is filling. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and did this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they did that. And then Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18, be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the enablement for ministry, the enablement for testimony, the enablement for living the Christian life is through the Holy Spirit still. The enablement for boldness, they would stand boldly in the face of persecutors. It isn't easy. If you've ever been betrayed by fellow Christians... Went through an experience recently. I would have, wouldn't have liked to have gone through it. But the Lord wanted that to be part of the, the training. And it, it's a hard thing to go through. But our Lord goes through it. David went through it. We're going to see that Peter makes reference to it in the second half of the chapter with regard to Judas, who was pictured by Ahithophel in his relationship to David years before. He was taken up. And to whom, verse 3, he also presented himself, to whom, referring to the apostles in verse 2, the Lord presented himself in what way? As a ghost? As a phantom? How did he present himself? He presented himself alive after his suffering. This is important, beloved, because they saw a man ascend in a body. They saw God in a body ascend into heaven. And the angels said, what about that man? They said, he's going up to heaven where he's still in that body. And then he's going to come back just as you saw him go in that body. Now granted, it's a different body than the one he had before. It's a glorified body. Luke tells us a little bit about it in chapter 24 of Luke, doesn't he? When he talks about he ate food. And they watched him. They gave him some food. They said, well, we, we're, we're afraid you're a ghost. He said, well, give me some food. And they didn't see the food go down through his body. They, they, it went in like it does with us. You don't, it disappears once it goes in your mouth, right? He was, he was really alive. That's so important. After his suffering, he really suffered. And He's really alive. And He's our God. And He's our Lord. And He loves us enough to do that for us. And He still loves us like that. And He wants to love us through each other. 
And that's a great privilege. See, He's called us to participate with Him. He says, I will build my church. He's building His church. It's His church. But He's inviting us to participate with Him. We're going to spend some time in the second half of chapter 1 because there has been a lot of confusion over the years about what goes on here, what Peter and the brethren do with regard to the replacement for Judas. And it's a very important fact. It sets up the rest of the book. I'm going to try to show it to you. It's so important. For years, I would even teaching the book of Acts, I'd almost skip over it because there was so much controversy about, well, you know, they, was this legitimate? You know, I mean, Peter and them got up, and, and they, I was told by one Christian when I was a young Christian years ago, he said they gambled for Matthias, they cast lots. Oh, come on. The priesthood cast lots for the divisions in the Old Testament. The casting of lots was used all the way through the Old Testament. It's not gambling. It doesn't have to be that. And then there the whole people say, well, Peter stood up and did this in his own flesh. Paul is really the one. No, he's not. The Bible makes that clear. That is nothing but preconceived prejudice being brought to the Bible. Because if you just study the text, you find out that Luke will call them the eleven, the eleven, the eleven. And then he gets to chapter 6, verse 2, and he says, and the twelve stood up. And where was Paul in chapter 6? He was getting ready to persecute Stephen in chapter 7 and 8. He was Saul of Tarsus. He, he hated them. He wasn't saved. And Luke tells us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they were 12 before Paul was even converted. And, and that ought to be enough. But then if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul himself says, he calls them the 12, and then he says, and then last of all, I was converted. He calls them the 12 without him. So it's so important to study the Word of God for what it says and, and not allow a preconceived idea, oh, the Apostle Paul was a tremendous apostle. We don't take anything from him. But Paul would stand up and correct us and say, don't do that with the Word of God. You don't do that. You don't elevate men. So that was the least of the apostles. And so we see then that the Lord presented Himself alive by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days. What's called the post-resurrection ministry of our Lord with the eleven. And it turns out there were others that were with Him. We find, about, find out about that later in the chapter, don't we? Forty days. That's a month and a week, roughly, right? Forty days. Our Lord was in and out you say, well, what would it look like? Well, Luke chapter 24 will give us a few examples, won't it? When he, when he talked to the two on the road to Emmaus. Well, what did he talk to them about? Well, it tells us, right? The Old Testament. He showed where he was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then when the eleven were gathered in the upper room and the Lord appears to them, what does it say he talked to them about? He talked to them from the three divisions of the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, and the historical books, all the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you like to have been there? But you know what? You don't have to worry about being left out. We don't have to worry about being left out. You know why? 
Because the epistles go on to tell us what he instructed them about. You with me? The epistles, the letters that follow the book of Acts, go on to describe for us what our Lord taught. And there are many references in those epistles to Old Testament fulfillments of our Lord from the Psalms, the prophets, and the historical books. So we do have, the Lord wouldn't shortchange us. The church is one. What He taught them, He wants to teach us. For 40 days, infallible proofs. Now you and I haven't seen the Lord Jesus. The Bible says you haven't, so I know you haven't. First Peter chapter 1. You haven't seen Him, and I haven't seen Him. So we're putting all of our stock in the eyewitness account of these men, aren't we? That's what it comes down to. The twelve apostles, Matthias being added to him makes him a twelve again. The twelve apostles are the testimony. They're the eyewitnesses that the Lord Jesus chose beforehand. To be a testimony to His name. You and I only know about Jesus Christ because of them. You say, what do you mean? Because the New Testament is called the Apostles' Doctrine in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Apostles wrote what they saw, what they experienced, what they touched. John says in 1 John, what we touched and what we saw with our eyes and heard with our ears and gazed upon concerning the Word of Life. We tell on to you, so that you may enter into fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Well, this is part of what we are going to be looking at in the book of Acts. In our next study, it's going to be interesting. What was it that he talked to them about those 40 days at the end of that verse? The kingdom of God. That's important. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to understand. But there's an element of that kingdom that is also yet unfulfilled, which they bring about in their question with regard to the kingdom being restored to Israel. And we'll look at that. To me, this is fascinating. I'm so thankful the Word of God included this. If the Word of God didn't have this in here, I might be an amillennialist. But, but the Word of God has this in here. And so we, we have to deal with this. The kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. But there's something that God's going to do before that happens. And that's the age that you and I are in. Often referred to as the church age. And there are a lot of activities, we were praying about them here, that you all hear at this local assembly are involved in, and that's great. Invest in them. Invest yourself in them. In some kind of way, even if you're just praying, just praying, we say. But praying for a particular ministry when you don't have time to be involved in it or physically are unable to do so is a tremendous asset to anybody that's in ministry would tell you that. And some of us are goers and some of us are senders. But all of us participate and work together for the building of the body. 
And who gets the credit? Boulevard? The elders? The Lord, the risen Lord. So, Father, we thank You for this study tonight. And we thank You for the, the encouragement that You've given to us in Your New Testament, which You have put together, superintended, preserved all these centuries. And we're so thankful to have it in our own language where we can read it and study it and admire it and meditate on it. And, and then you promise by your Holy Spirit to use these very words in this book to conform us to the image of Christ. Amazing. We thank you, Lord, for calling us out. If there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, draw them, even further than what you've already been drawing them to the person of Christ. Help us to answer questions they might have. And for those of us who know the Lord as Savior, Father, work in us and through us to be a blessing, a channel of blessing for the glory of your Son, your precious and awesome Son, we pray in His name. Amen.